Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Runner's World podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Runner's World podcast. Each month we'll be bringing you the latest training advice, news and interviews from the wide world of running. I'm Rick Pearson, the Runner's World section editor, and I'm here with Ben Hobson, the digital editor. Ben, what have we got coming up this month? This month, the podcast is themed around Runner's World 25th anniversary. Editor Andy Dixon will be joining us to look back at some of the magazine's greatest moments. Longtime columnist and multi-Olympian Joe Pavey will be discussing how running has changed over the past two and a half decades. Killian Journet will be speaking about his record-breaking Bob Graham round. And tech guru Kieran Alger is coming in to discuss how running might look in 25 years' time. So, Ben, what have you been up to this month? I've been enjoying the weather. Excellent. I'm a man who likes running in the heat. It doesn't It doesn't phase me. I quite like it. I quite like getting a sweat on. The hotter, the better. Yeah, why not? Sure, I'm involved. But we, it, did, it did spark a bit of chat. Okay. So we put it to our wonderful Twitter audience. Um, I wanted to find out if they too have been enjoying the wonderful weather and it turns out that no they haven't oh lovely um well, not necessarily true but um i asked if people like running in the heat okay and, and slightly different slightly different and 69 percent said no okay well. which is fair i mean when it's 30 plus i think that's like yes yeah. it's, it's really not yeah. for everyone it's uncomfortable but longer days shorter nights and all those sorts of things op- further opportunities but it did get us it did get us talking about a slightly more controversial topic which is topless running Mm. Uh, and whether or not this is a, still a socially unacceptable behaviour of runners. And thankfully, our, all, our very uh, all-encompassing audience, Li- liberal. Twi- liberal Twitter audience, said 72% said it didn't bother them. Well, that If they saw a man or a woman running topless. Oh, not like completely topless. Women's sports prizes is a caveat there, but still, I think it's there. Um, so that was good to know. Yeah, um, I'd be in the other 28%, maybe to my shame. I feel like I see a, particularly in an urban setting, shirtless running, I see as it's kind of peacocking around, you know. Right. And, and I just think, it just, I, just, I think it's very showy. No, I, I, I can, yeah, I'd agree to impart to that. I think that if you're in a, and I will absolutely admit this, I was recently in the rural area and ran with Shan's cert. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it because it was a nice sunny day and there was no one around. So yeah. I ran without a top one. I wouldn't want to do it in London. I wouldn't go around Hyde Park without my T-shirt. And you see a lot of it in Hyde Park because that's yeah. our local park here. And we go running around and you see, it's, it's, you know, it's quite a lot of men just stripped down to the waist running around. And, you know, it's fine. It's I'm not, all for it. It's not illegal and lots of other reasons for it. Maybe I'm... I think you're, you're being incredibly British. About <laughs> but I just think, oh, really? 
What's wrong with a T-shirt? This is the Runner's World Podcast. We're delighted to have with us in the studio RW's editor, Andy Dixon. Andy, welcome to the Runner's World Podcast. Thank you very much, Rick. Delighted to be here. No, it's great to have you. Um, the latest front cover of Runner's World pictures uh, Sir Mo Farah in some striking 90s garb. Um, what's the idea behind that and why did you want Mo to adorn the 25th anniversary issue? Well, we were looking for a way to connect the current era of Runner's World with mm. with the pre the kind of past of Runner's World. So we wanted to do two covers. One was the present day, one was a kind of retro cover yep. that would have shown a runner a modern runner as they might have been in 1993 when when the magazine launched. Um obviously we were looking for someone who was instantly recognizable, a real personality who would have appeal to runners and non-runners and would really kind of cause a a bit of publicity for this. We wanted it to be a landmark cover. So who better than Sir Mo Farah? Yeah. A knight of the realm. Um, <laughs> and we wanted it also, first and foremost, to be a bit of fun as well. We didn't want it to be a, quite a, a po-face thing. So I think that was causing a bit of nervousness amongst us. I'd met him a couple of times on previous kind of feature uh, junkets and press trips. So I knew, he was, you know, with Mo Farah, what you see is what you get. He's a really nice guy, but... When we floated the concept to him and his his people, we were nervous about what the reaction might be because the the retro. I mean, without spoiling the cover, the retro cover, which is fantastic, um, it involves him dressing up and possibly wearing a section of wigs. Yeah. So we didn't know whether this would just get a blanket refusal. He bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. In fact, um, we we used a couple of shots on the gatefold of the the subscriber issue and the newsstand issue. Um, we could have used ten. Right. That's how yeah. good the shoot was. That's how much he bought into it. Yeah. So he, he's a real fun guy. Um, ben, you were at the shoot. Yeah, the wig owner had to prize them from his hands. That yeah. was great. The cover was really, really good. Mo looks great. The cover looks great. So well done. Well, one of the features in the latest issue concerns the greatest 25 running moments. I guess it was the idea of doing one great running moment for every year that the Runners World has been in existence. Um, if you had to pick just one of those, what, what would it be? I would, I mean, I feel like a little bit of a cop-out saying this, but I would go for the Olymp- not just the Olympics, but the Paralympics in, in um, 2012. Um, you know, mainly the kind of stadium-based stuff, which was obviously it was not just running; it was just sprinting and track. Yeah. But I would say that just felt the Olympics really felt like a, um, a seminal moment because it was the biggest sporting event that Britain had, had got for decades, possibly ever. I mean, obviously we've had Olympics before, but they're they're, they're not. The last one was in '48, which yeah. was a kind of post-war one. Um, so this is the biggest since the Olympics became a big global party. This was the first time we'd got it. There was a lot of kind of stress and angst in the build-up about the cost and the upheaval. And I think when it actually happened, everyone got behind it, and, and that's the athletes, the games makers, the crowds, and it was just that quite a rare sense of national unity. Yeah. You know, I was there for the very first stadium session, which there was no finals happening. It was just the kind of preliminary qualifiers, and the stadium was sold out. Yeah. Um, same with the Paralympics. As far as I can recall, I went to a couple of Paralympics 
finals. This was unheard of. This was the, to, to, to play out the Paralympics in front of a, an 80,000 sellout crowd, and actually we've seen from Rio four years later that that didn't happen again. Mm. It just shows you what an appetite that the British public has for sport and for spectacle, and um, that we can kind of come together and without wanting to get too kind of metaphorically political, mm. I, I, it feels like we're missing that kind of that kind of ethos now. Mm. So I look back at, at, at that that summer with a great deal of fondness. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. Felt incredibly proud to be British, I think. What about you? I'd put the publication of Born to Run. Because right. I, I just think like it's become fashionable to sort of slag off McDougal and his kind of trip to the Taramar Indians. But I think that very few books have made running seem as exciting or have kind of launched so many running careers, actually, and definitely had a massive impact on my own running and I like many people who read the book got a lot of stuff wrong and thought I was just going to run around in sandals and then had an injury but but you know I never after that book I never stopped running you know it was it was a real launch pad uh into in running and it's um it's a page turner and maybe some of it isn't you know it's a little bit liberal with um some of the truth but I think it's it's great and I would, I'd encourage anyone to give it a read because it, it makes running seem exciting thing i'd say about born to run obviously it had a, an immediate effect with the kind of rise of barefoot running and and then there was the kind of minimalism in, in shoes which you know those of us who've worked on the mag for for 11 years like i have you, you know there's a kind of pendulum involved yeah which kind of swings from minimalism to maximum maximalism and and cushioning in shoes to to no cushioning shoes but i would say born to run has absolutely had an effect on on shoe manufacture yeah right because even once barefoot shoes had kind of gone out of fashion, what remained with manufacturers was the idea that it's better to to strip down and take things off shoes mm. than add them. I think up to Born to Run, there was this kind of idea amongst shoe manufacturers that structure and, and lots of kind of built-up kind of structural element, elements in shoes like the uppers yeah. was a good thing. And since then, I would say in the 10 years since Born to Run, it's been a kind of golden age of shoes because it's really quite hard to get a, a bad running shoe these days, whereas before it was quite common. Tell us a couple of ways, Andy, that you think running or even runners' world has changed over the past 25 years. Well, the obvious one would be participation, um, for sure. It's broadened out massively. Um, you know, I've looked. I, we looked back at, at the kind of first few issues when we were producing the 25th anniversary issue to kind of get a feel for what kind of material was in the mag. And obviously, the mag is a reflection of the running culture at the time. And um, Runners World in 1993 was kind of primarily male, I would say, yeah. more kind of competitively focused. I mean, there was still, you know. A, to an extent, there was a, an emphasis on recreational running, but I think the Runners World Reader of '93 probably did road races, yeah. and also it would be on the road. I don't think there'd be there wasn't trail. There, mm. there were trail runs. There weren't obstacle races as such, mm. um, apart from Tough Guy, um, and so that's broadened out massively. Um, you know, if you look back at the first issue, the there's a, a, a column aimed at women runners called Sisters, and it's just one page. And that gives you an idea that, you know, to give a one-page kind of defined, this is the women's running area in the magazine, gives you an idea of, of how many women runners they expected to be reading the magazine. Mm. Whereas now we don't have, you know, in the, the runner's world of, of today, and, and actually for the last 10 years, there's been no demarcation of 
here's a women's section or a man's section or an anything section. All of the content that we put in there, we believe to be or hope to be applicable, with the exception of, you know, bra reviews and stuff like that, um, applicable to both genders. Yeah. So um, that's changed in, in terms of, you know, although we still have race coverage in MAG, issue one had lots of listings and yes. that, again, that was a reflection of the fact that in 93 you were probably going to find a race mm. and enter a race using a magazine. Yeah. Now you would be better off finding a race and entering a race online for sure. And, and, and we, we took listings out of the magazine two years ago. Right. So that's, you know, that's one of the ways, the more obvious ways that the magazine's changed and reflected um, the way that running has, has, has moved on. Yeah. And what about your own relationship with running? Not not just in the twenty five years, but let's we could just you know bring it down to the last eleven that you've been at run as well, maybe. Well, I mean, I'm I'm an interesting case study because <laughs> I and I get asked this a lot. You know, were you a runner before you started on Runners World? And and the answer is I, I wasn't. Um, I was kind of into health and fitness. I used to go to the gym, but run and run on a treadmill. Uh, but I'd never done a, a road race. I used to do the odd kind of jog um and i got the job and so obviously i took it upon myself to get inside running and get inside the mind of a runner and really enjoyed it i mean it, you know i started in 2007 by april 2008 i was doing my first london marathon yeah. which was amazing and since then i've done 21 marathons and managed to go sub three quite a long time ago um, you only have to do it once yes <laughs> no I, I literally it will be once because i'm not i'm not trying again so that was five years ago so i i, I kind of got into it I, I went up the distances then i really got into the performance side of it and trying to beat my pbs managed to tick off a few pbs now i'm i'm kind of sliding down the other side of that hill yeah. um i don't really desire i mean i I really desire new running experiences, but they're not performance-based. I have no desire to run a 257 and beast myself to do that. I would like to do an ultra. You know, my running life has, has kind of evolved, as I suspect many people's do. And, you know, your objectives and your motivations change throughout. And maybe I'll um, I'll have a mood change and I'll get back into running fast times or trying to run fast times uh, in the next couple of years. But now I'm just in a nice state where I can just run for fun mainly and run when I want to and not having to follow a schedule every day is quite liberating. As far as being a kind of magazine editor, how's that changed during your kind of 11 years at Runners World? It's got a lot more complex uh, and demanding, I would say. I mean, uh, I, even the, the, the term magazine editor is kind sure. of old school. Yeah. And now I would just say that I was, although it's not my title, I'm more of a brand editor. So the magazine when I started was, along with the website, it was, you know, there's a Runner's World magazine and a Runner's World website and everything was revolving around them. Still, magazine takes a lot of my time, but there's also bookazines, there's also um, just general branding and strategy to be thought about. There's events. So it, it's more of a kind of, um, to use that hated term, the 360-degree yeah, right. job where print is just one part of the sure. responsibility um and there's lots of other facets and and this is reflected throughout the magazine industry where um as uh, advertising and, and so it becomes more challenging um brands magazine, former magazine brands are, are, are just becoming brands that are looking for ways to 
other ways to make money. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, it's become a lot more multifaceted and a, and a bit more pressurised as well, if I'm honest. What's been your proudest moment in your time as editor, apart from running sub free marathon? You can't pick that. Um, well, I've got I've got a few. Uh, so I mean, some of them are kind of in terms of like journalistic pride. Um, you know, I, I think it was great to have a good a good relationship with Usain Bolt yeah. as he. You know, as he rose uh, and then became kind of world famous, we kind of did four, you know, four interviews with him in 2011, 12, 15 and 16. Um, and they were all done by Kerry, who's been on the podcast yeah, yeah, before. Yeah. And, and so, it, you know, it helps us build a relationship up with Usain Bolt to the, to the extent that we got these kind of exclusives that we would be able to then actually were picked up by national newspapers so yeah. it was we felt it felt like we were we, we had a kind of inside track mm-hmm. um you know when he was speaking to us before the 2015 world championships it was when he beat gatlin yeah. um and gatlin was coming back from a drugs ban and um it really felt like he was the savior of the sport at, at that time and and actually he was quite quite adamant about how um how disappointed he was that he was racing against uh, you know yeah. an alleged drugs cheat um and that actually got a lot of you know that was picked up and was on the back back page of the of the times yeah. um so that felt good i mean it felt good to be glo- to be breaking a global story because it's not often that we, we would get the chance to do that um on a less kind of serious side i think getting appearing in a, a comic strip alongside Alf Tupper, <laughs> nice. the tough of the track yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of yesteryear, um, he was the cartoonist to, to do a bespoke oh, great, yeah. c- comic strip that involved um, the editorial team. So it was me, Kerry and Joe, my deputy of Runner's World. And we were trying to, and this keys into the whole running evolution and how running's changed. We were... Tr- um, for people that don't know, Alf Tubber was a famously old school athlete. He used to train hard and eat fish and chips and drink beer and and be successful. He also got into fights occasionally, uh, and we tried to persuade him to take on like the latest in running tech. Right. So we tried to uh, convince him that um, that running compression running tights would help his performance. And he does a race in them, and he doesn't doesn't get on with them, and then he goes back to his old school methods eating fish and chips and and drinking and then hey presto wins the london marathon <laughs> um so you know seeing yourself as a, as a kind of cartoon was, was quite a good moment as well um and in terms of the brand i would say creating a life is quite a good thing mm-hmm. um this was a, one of our case studies from 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 i think it was 2009 and it was a guy who said that his, him and his wife had been trying for a baby for a few years and he was on his way up to the Great North Run uh, and was reading Runner's World and an article that said that contrary to the oft-quoted advice that sex before athletic performance is a bad thing, that actually it was fine. So he was like, oh, and he showed it to his wife. One thing led to another (laughs) and hey presto, a baby was born pretty much nine months to the day uh, after that and he he actually he thanks Runners World for for it's amazing for for helping him along that road. <laughs> little little baby R W. I'm surely um, one of your highlights must be being told that you were 
biomechanically more efficient yeah. than our cover star on the 25th anniversary issue. Better yeah. than Mo. I didn't want to, to put that in for fear of, of appearing kind of too, too arrogant. But I, 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 yes, I mean, I was... I did a biomechanic. This is before he won anything and became Sir. Um, we did a biomechanical assessment together, and um, the biomechanist, I think that's the word, uh, had us both running on a treadmill and, you know, with a gait analysis and a pressure pad. And he said that I had a na- more natural running gait than Mo Farah. Amazing. And I will take that. That will be, <laughs> the best uh, be inscribed yeah. on my on my headstone. I think <laughs> um, I should add for the for the for the interests of balance that in every other test that we did, such as like the plank test, flexibility, how fast can you run? Uh, how fast can you run? How how you know? Are you destined uh, to be an athlete? Your body body fat ratio. <laughs> Um, he wiped the floor with me. So, you know, it was just that one thing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, final question, Eddie, then. Um, where do you think running is heading next? I think it's going to continue to be massively popular. I think that's a given. Um, I, I think that a lot like, you know, Born to Run kind of had this big effect on the manufacture of shoes and, and also people's attitudes to running. I, I think whether there's another book or something some event i think will lead people to seek more simplicity in their running mm. um and i don't just mean in terms of gadgets that they wear it's also in terms of um social media you know i think one of the big things about running and it's something we've heard lots of our case studies over the years say why do you run it's for headspace it's me time and I think we're possibly getting to a stage where, you know, one of the attractions of running is it's you're, it's time away from the grid and mm-hmm. your responsibilities and, and computers. But actually, the grid and social media is eking its way into running. So people are taking their phones with them on runs. People are stopping during their runs to set up an Instagram shot. Mm. People are being alerted by their phone that they're nearing a Strava segment and will be raising their pace to to try and get up a leaderboard. Mm. And all of these little things are kind of eking in. And in and of themselves, they're not harmful, of course. But I just think the overall effect could be that actually running ceases to be an escape and it just becomes another thing that we do each day with our phones Mm. and it's quite hard to get headspace. So I think... At some point, there might be a, a slight reaction to that over kind of technological technologicalization. I can't even say it. <laughs> techization yeah. of the running experience and a return to to purity um, and escape and running as escape. Well, Andy, thanks very, very much for coming on the podcast. Thank it was you. great to talk about runners' world and your own running journey, and obviously why you're a better runner than Mo Farah. Yeah, here's to another eleven years. Yeah, yeah. Do it. And here's to another 25 years. Why not? <laughs> Everyone keep running, please. High five. <laughs> For more from Runner's World, head to runnersworld.co.uk. So I was going through the vaults of Runner's World recently to collect the best letters of the past 25 years, and um, we only had room for about seven of them. But honestly, we, we could have filled 10 pages, such was the quality of some of the entries. Uh, here's one written by Doug Voss in October 1995. It didn't make the cut, but I thought it was worth airing anyway, chiefly to show you that while some things change, the rules of running are essentially everlasting. So this is what Doug writes. During more comfortable runs, the mind tends to wander, and this has led me to devise the following Murphy's Laws of running. 
Number one, it will start to rain or hail, snow, etc. when you're at the furthest point from home and it will stop raining when you reach home. Number two, if you're running uphill, you are running into the wind. Three, dogs will foul a footpath at its narrowest point. Four, on an otherwise deserted road, a car will come along just as you need to cross. Five, the level crossing gates will close as you approach. Six, the level crossing gates will open again just as you reach the other side via the nearby footbridge. Seven, a cold northeast wind is always against you, even on a circular route. And eight, on your best training runs, you will forget to start your watch. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Imagine a runner in 2043. She wakes in at appropriate time in her sleep cycle as the curtains open to let the sun into her bedroom while the recorded birdsong filters into her ears. She opens a panel in the wall that folds out an enclosed treadmill. The wall comes alive with a lush scenery as she steps onto the surface of the machine, which feels soft but responsive. Her artificial intelligence, AI, coach, begins assessing her recovery, communicating with her bed on the quality of her sleep, with a tracking app on her nutrition and the various monitors regarding her heart rate, blood pressure, blood glucose, neurochemistry, muscle damage and things we don't even know about yet. People who should know believe that this will be possible and available in 25 years, if not sooner. But will it be? Welcome, friends, to the future of running. So that was uh, an intro. A it's not creepy, actually. Beautifully <laughs> and slightly creepily rendered by Ben there. But it's uh, from an, an article that's appearing in... Uh, the next issue or the current issue of Runner's World called The Future of Running and looks at where running might be in 25 years' time. So we've got Kieran Alger. Hi there. Um, who is an expert in, in both running and technology. So we thought, who better to speak to about, you know, some of the interesting and exciting developments that might be coming our way. Thanks for having me on, oh, guys. It's absolutely great to have you on. Um, one of the things that this article touches on and a lot, a lot of people are talking about is the role that virtual reality might have. In, yeah. in running so where, where do you feel see that coming in or do you feel like it's already there I, th- I think we've you know over the years we've seen vr or this kind of vr fantasy played out in loads of films you know all over the place and i have this kind of idea there's this whole treadmill kind of fantasy around vr where you know you're running in a completely immersive world i'm i'm not sure it's going to come to fruition i think the runners are always going to want to run outside and i think mm. getting over that there's there's a lot of sort of technical glitches i also think there's a there's a big um discrepancy here and you have to sort of separate out what is virtual reality from augmented reality so right now vr tends to mean sort of strapping on a headset you know you're putting on something that uh, you know surrounds your field of vision and you're completely immersed by it now there are a couple of big drawbacks to that one headsets (laughs) are pretty sweaty yeah right i I don't want to use one of those after someone else has been wearing it yeah um you know they're pretty impractical the other thing is it's pretty hard to run on a treadmill if you can't see where you're going so unless the future that Ben has just described in that very, very strange voice <laughs> happens where we're in a world and, you know, it's actually you're completely surrounded by projections. And, and it's like, I kind of see VR as a, it's a little bit of a, a misnomer, really. Mm. Mm. The augmented side of stuff, though, has definitely been something that's kicking off. Like if you take, I mean, uh, when I first started here, and this was probably like five and a half years ago, there were definitely treadmills that had like very large, bulbous screens that would be in front of you that were sort of... Um, you know, deep pan, so that they sort of came round to the edge of your field of vision, mm. and you ran in that, and that projected. And that's image. just for someone who's not particularly well versed in this. Yeah. So, yeah. that's VR is what you described. Augmented reality, how but, is that different? So, so I think you know, I, I kind of see what what Ben's talking about as uh, that's kind of virtual running. So you're, it kind of involves a treadmill and a screen of some sort that sort of surrounds you. So, um, and I guess in the future that could be something that's a little more projected and it, a little bit more all encompassing. 
Um, augmented reality is things being overlaid on the real world around you and you're viewing those maybe through a screen, which might be your phone, a bit like Pokemon Go. Right. Um, or in that you know, long distant future, it, you know, people talk about contact lenses yeah. where you can pop them in and you can see things coming up in real time, like a, an airline kind of, or sorry, a, a, a fighter pilot head, yeah. heads up display, right. that kind of thing. So that's where sort of augmented reality and virtual reality tend to split. I'll have to get you down to the gym on a treadmill, but Zwift. Yes, things Zwift. like Zwift yes, do, right. do yeah. a running or a sort of augmented version of running where you, you are, you propel an individual that represents you around a running track right, right. on a treadmill so that's which which is amazing you know and yeah. this, it's it's different though i i kind of see swift as a different experience to to running you're you know you are you're running on the treadmill and you're propelling your beautiful little avatar up and down the mountains or on, on wherever that you're, you're you're running but it's a very different experience yeah. and i think if you speak to swift and i have they will say that they're not trying to replace running they're not trying to say stay indoors it's just making that time when you have to be indoors yes. more more enjoyable yeah um what about artificial intelligence how might how might that influence running so i think ai is probably a bigger thing and i you know there are lots of products out there at the moment there's um smart souls uh, there's a product called arian there's a product called run v that they basically bring in data they gather data as you're running and then they process it through an ai engine right. now they'll, they'll claim to be ai but it's very very sort of um, uh, early days at the moment but ai opens up huge opportunities for us to essentially crunch big data and learn from how everybody else runs on the planet and feed that back into how we might learn so you you can use uh, ai machine learning to take an awful lot of um, data say all those people who run on strava and who run a sub three and you can find out the people who are most closely matched to me and my ability as it stands right now and then apply how they got to that sub three to me in real time. Yeah. Um, and this, again, this sort of splits. Sometimes it's, this part of it will be about training plans. So adaptive training plans that, that learn as you run. So you skip a session, the AI sees that, and then the next session it changes what you're supposed right. to do. There's also then sort of real-time coaching where it might pick up that you've, your heart rate is raised. On that easy 5K that you're doing, your heart rate is suddenly far higher than it would normally be. So over the headphones, it will say to you, actually, today, Kieran, maybe you should just chill out and, and have a rest day. Yeah. And that kind of real-time coaching. And those things are very much here and now. And I think could be they're solving practical problems. And I think that's the most important thing yes. about tech. It's got to do something that helps me. Andy was just talking then about the future of running and what he saw as possible a possible change. And that involves around people kind of fighting against the influx and the invasion of technology into running, not just necessarily tracking stuff on a watch, but sort of the way that that feeds back into social media and all those sorts of things. Um, do you think tech will continue to play an increasing role or do you think there's going to be something significant in terms of there's too much is too much? You know, I'm a, I'm a big kind of technophile. I'm a big fan of this stuff. I, you know, every time I get a new product to test, I, I really want it to work. I really want it to do something brilliant for me. I want those souls to actually help me improve my form. So I, I kind of buy into it. I, I do get that a lot of technology at the moment or, or some of it's increasingly becoming interruptive. So it pesters you when you run or, mm. you know, sometimes with some of these products, they are, uh, they're trying to do something, but they're nagging you a little bit too too much. And I think there will be a backlash, and you're sort of already seeing that. Some of the big running brands have already started to talk about mindfulness and pairing back and doing what we call, you know, going back to naked running, where you haven't got your watch on and you're you're basically just, you know, shorts and a vest and off you go. Yeah. And I I think that will certainly be the case. 
the tech companies have to get around this, I think, by essentially making the technology fit seamlessly into what we do. And that's what I alluded to earlier. It needs to support me, but it needs to do it in a way that feels really natural. So I, I love the idea, you know, think about heart rate monitors. Mm. Okay, the chest straps are still, you know, not, not brilliant to wear, but people have gone through this process where they've they've run with the chest strap for a while and then maybe they learn what that feels like when they hit certain zones. And after a while, you can drop the chest strap and maybe run a little bit more on the field. It kind of supports you. And if I think increasing the technology is going to have to do that. Help me be a more natural runner and then I'll accept it. Buzz on my wrist all the time and annoy me and, I'm, yeah, I, you know, I don't want it. Yeah, so I mean, what are some of the kind of companies or products that are exciting you at the minute? Like, I, I think I've, you know, there's a whole range of things that, you know, of all those sort of running problems that you've got that um, they're trying to fix, there's, I've just tested out one called Dorsa V. Now, these guys do lab-grade uh, biometrics testing. So they're basically a couple of sensors that you pop onto your shins and jump onto a treadmill and it will track things like ground contact time, your ground contact balance, so how your running, um, how your running balance is, um, and all these sort of running efficiency metrics. And what you can do from that, if you run in three different pairs of shoes, it will tell you which shoes you run most efficiently in. Wow, which is amazing because all you know, all of a sudden, it takes a bit of the guesswork out of yeah. buying shoes. And also, it means that I mean, it was surprising for me. I it told me completely different shoes than yeah, I would ever wear. So- the shoes that you've run races in and thought you'd run like the best race of your life yeah. and not that you're most efficient shoes. <laughs> no, Interesting. Right. And, and they're not, you know, the ones that I actually run best in are not the, you know, not the nice sort of sexy ones that I really want to be seeing. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> they're not the Instagram friendly ones. These are yeah. the ugly, the ugly well-made ones. Or something. Yeah. Right. But, it, but, but that's that, genuinely useful, isn't it? You know, exactly. that yeah, is genuinely useful. Yeah. And if you think about it, you go into it, all of a sudden you've got that big wall of shoes in a running shop and that you can whittle it down. Um, there's another, There's a, this is sort of slightly advanced and it's not yet formulated for for runners but there are people who there's a company called my levels who are adapting diabetic um continuous blood glucose monitors so things that tell you what your blood sugar levels are um you can now get sensors that are non-invasive so you wear them on the skin they last for two weeks and they'll you can tap it with your smartphone and it will tell you where your blood sugar levels are at so I think this is really exciting, you know, flip to a fitness use or a running use. Mm-hmm. Imagine you're, you're, you know, 14 miles into a marathon. You're thinking, yeah. should I take that gel? And eventually this would probably be able to tell you over a pair of headphones, it's now time, yeah. Kieran, to, to, to yeah. pop that gel. And that, I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah. We had a small, quick conversation like this and you were talking actually about learning foods which produce huge spikes. Yeah in you that you never thought you would have so when you have that hollow empty feeling which is most people will have had they've gone for a run it's the end of the day perhaps and you had a i don't know what you thought was like a delicious and very efficient pack of nuts before you started running actually and you wouldn't think nuts would would produce a a, a spike in your uh, sugar levels but all of a sudden you're getting these spikes come through yeah so you could see you know it's it's this is all sort of leading to a world where we can see sort of a little bit more personalization yes around not only how we how we run but you know what's going on in our bodies with our nutrition and um, what we're doing in training and what what effect this is having so you can you could all of a sudden see whether or not it's a smart thing for you to do to eat a banana 15 mm. minutes before a race or not or whether you're better off eating some smoked salmon which is sometimes what i do but that's weird <laughs> <laughs> when you talk about um personalization there like i guess we had we had a talk a few podcasts back i think we about the 
a Nike fly print. Oh, yeah. Um, which was essentially custom-made for Elip Kipchoge, and that obviously makes sense because he's the greatest marathon runner in the world. I'm sitting with two people who own a pair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Rick true. and Kieran yeah, both have yeah, pairs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah with, um, and, you know, undoubtedly, like, an exciting shoe with lots of good data to back it up. But do you think that there will be a day not too far from now where everyone will have their own custom shoe? You know, you'll go and be like, oh, your foot's like that. Okay, we can do a model that's very, like, customised to how your foot is shaped or how you run. I don't think we're that far away. I mean, I've I've been out to I've been to a couple of different labs. So Salomon um, took us through a whole process that was very close to that. The the actual end kind of manufacturer didn't didn't quite come off, um, but the the technology exists and actually there's a really solid commercial you know grounding for this as well. So mm. it makes money sense, which I think is one of the reasons that eventually we'll see it as much as it makes sense for us to to get better shoes. Mm. It, it cuts down the manufacturing process. Um, I think it's it's definitely a, a, a thing that the companies are working towards. It's a, it's a big goal, and I don't think it will be too long before mm. we get a version of that. Um, how customised it will be, I don't know. Yeah. But it's coming, for sure. And in sort of going pedalling backwards, um, what do you think have been the most significant milestones in running tech? If we're, we're celebrating 25 years of Runner's World, so, you know, what, what big big things have happened do you think that's easy it's, it's basically the front facing camera on your phone and the selfie stick <laughs> that's it, that's it. <laughs> nothing else did no i'm kidding i'm kidding i yeah the obvious sort of big one has to be gps mm. right so I, I did a bit of research. gps i think has been around since about 2000 i've only been running for 10 years so I, my whole life has had gps where i've been able to see in real time what my mm. pace is or even go and, and know how how when i've done my long run on a sunday i think back you know, longer than that, people would have to drive yeah. and mark out, you know, what 17 miles is. And then you wouldn't even know what the mile markers in between that. That's a crazy world that I can't even imagine. But. Just sitting down with the audit, <laughs> get this ordnance survey map out, yeah. do that scale, work yeah. out the scale. Yeah. Yeah, true. It's a, it's a process. We take it for granted, don't we? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I play devil's advocate and just say GPS is good and useful, but I sort of think like heart rate monitors in terms of the impact on training and performance gps is great like it tells you where you've been but the moment i was had a heart rate monitor and you can and it teaches you that level of effort and you can you can you can see a variable and, and actually equate effort to a, a stat it's it's the first time we got to see inside our bodies at yeah. what was going on really and i and it's it's kicking on from there but yeah, I think you can. It was the first time you sort of got to control your own training as well, and you started to feel, with a little bit of information, a little bit of education, that you could be your own coach. Yeah, mm. and that's again, that's another thing we're going to see increasingly happen with a lot of other metrics. Um, and at the moment, there's still, I think, there's still a sort of you need a bit of a sports science background yeah. or a willingness to get into the sports science. I do wonder if you throw it forward into the future whether or not. We're all just going to be like a driverless car at the moment. We're still driving. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Having the car in the future, we're going to take our hands off the steering wheel and we'll just trust what the machines tell us to do. We don't need to know the sports science. Yeah, It'll just say, true. do this yeah. today, Ben, and then you'll hit your PB. Now, you guys, would you, would you trust the machines? Probably. I probably think I probably do already. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're quite split on this stuff, aren't we? Because you're very, um, oh, you're love very it. good at like embracing tech, and I'm, I'm a little bit of a Neanderthal, really, and I kind of run, a, I think, on some level to get away from yeah. um, technology. So, um, Rick is uh, the man who will, you'll run with and won't wear a watch. Yeah, I'm, I very, very rarely wear a watch. But, um, it, but it's often keen to know what pace he's running. Yeah. <laughs> We've discussed this, so it's not, it's not necessarily this kind of great principled, like, you know, stand against data. It's basically not wanting to take responsibility for my own pacing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically your his watch. What are we <laughs> running at? We're doing sevens at the moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did you tell me? Yeah. 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 Well, well as, we didn't know. As, as you guys can see, I'm, I'm normally wearing at least two watches, which yeah. is... You know, as a, as a tech journalist who writes about this stuff, I get very strange looks when I'm out in yeah. public. I forget that wearing two watches is weird. Um, sometimes I have, in races, worn six. Do you think that tech has made wow. you a better runner, Kieran? Oh, that's a very good question. I It's definitely helped me understand my training a lot more. Yeah. Um, I think there are there are times that it's, it's definitely made me, on a day, a worse runner because yeah. I've been t- way too focused on it. And I get too stressed about it and I'm too heads up and I probably, you know, if something goes wrong, for example, the watch, you know, you go through a tunnel, the GPS is gone, you start to panic about it. But overall, I think it's definitely improved the way that I train. And yeah, on balance, I'd probably say yes, it has. Yeah. Kieran, thanks, mate, for joining us. That was incredibly useful and interesting. Um, let's hope that, you know, soothsaying capabilities will all be letting the machines do it all for us in the near future but thanks so much for joining us on the Runners World podcast thanks for having me can you do that voice again that you did in the intro <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> know if I can <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today this is the Runners World podcast oh it's absolutely great to get Kieran in and talk about tech even for someone a, ne- a Neanderthal such as myself he makes it sound interesting and understandable so uh, yeah thanks to Kieran for coming in just a quick question for you, Ben. If you could come up with one running invention, what would it be? Ooh. All, right, all right, I've got one. It's actually, it's not really an invention. I'd say it's an, it's an enhancement of a current product. Okay, fine. Does that count? Yeah, that's fine, yeah. It's men's running tights. Okay. All right. I have an ongoing issue with men's running tights. Yeah. Men's running tights are not um, designed, in my opinion. Yeah as functional garments. Okay. Because in the current state of affairs, they're sort of designed as an undergarment. So the, the socially acceptable way of wearing a running tight is to 
have a short over the top. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Is it, I must remind myself of that because I'm, I'm, I'm not shortless. I'm uh, me too. Right, we're quite Euro in that respect. <laughs> it's quite a European thing to do. Right, right. We're in the UK frowned upon, especially in our office. I get we get pulled up on it. Yeah. yeah. So my invention would actually be that. Um, you have running shorts. Running shorts have, you know, a, a variety of well-functioning liners. Yeah. Tights, nothing. Doesn't I don't understand why, but no one seems to build them in. Yeah. The front panel, just make that slightly more modest. Yeah. Just have a, a blurring of the lines, <laughs> shall we say, just to make that slightly more functional. And then you don't have to have, like, an extra pair of pants underneath. Yeah. Even with the invention of underwear, which is great, like, yep. if people want it. You know, pair of underwear, then your tights, too much. Shorts over the top of tights, too much. Just someone invent a decent pair of running tights, especially around winter time, that keep keep it all in place but don't show it off. Essentially, right. is what I, I'm after. I love that. I think my inventions, it's not as exciting as that. It really isn't. <laughs> I think I choose... Now, Steady, steady yourself. Right, okay. Self-cleaning cross-country spikes. Right? <laughs> it's quite niche, quite already. niche. But if anyone who's sort of regular on a cross-country circuit will know that the state of your shoes after cross-country is like it's it's a couple after mud. You know, it's not. It's it's oh yeah, it's yeah. really clingy, cloggy stuff. And you know, it would save a lot of arguments at home did, if I found a way to clean them. Did you play football as a lad? Played football as a lad. So did you not get into the boot cleaning regime? Yeah, no, got very much into that, you know, banging them against, yeah. you know, against each other and all the rest of it. But this cross-country mud is worse than football mud. <laughs> I mean, this is a whole new conversation. <laughs> but anyway, right. I, that's what I'd go for. But I'd right, be, self-cleaning. I'd be interested, listeners. Um, I, uh, I genuinely think Kieran would have been the right man to ask, but there's got to be <laughs> yeah. a, a plastic, a moulded yeah. plastic or some, you know, uh, a foam or whatever you want in your spike uh, sole that is resistant. Mud resistant. Yeah, you're right. Okay, well, coating. We can, work, we can coating. work on that. Um, I right. wonder what our listeners have to uh, say. What invention would you like to see? Email us at podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. We promise not to steal your ideas. We're just interested to know. Earlier this month, Catalan mountain runner Killian Journey set a new record for the Bob Graham round. For those of you unfamiliar with the Bob Graham, it's a staggeringly difficult route in the Lake District, requiring runners to scale 42 fells in 24 hours. The previous record of 13 hours 53 minutes was set by local fell running legend Billy Bland way back in 1982. With the help of the cream of the Lakeland fell running community, Journey beat Bland's record by just over an hour, finishing in an astonishing 12 hours 52 minutes. I was offered the chance to speak with Journey at very short notice, so the audio quality on this next interview isn't particularly good. But I thought, seeing as interviews with Journey are about as rare as hen's teeth, many of our listeners might be interested in what he had to say about his record-breaking round. Huge congratulations on uh, on breaking the the Bob Graham. No, no, thanks. And was, was it? As difficult as you as you thought it would be. Yeah, like it's uh, it's a very very tough uh, round. Like uh, the distance, uh, but mostly the elevation and the and the technicality. Yeah. Uh, how technical is the terrain? It's it's uh, it's very hard to 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 complete it, and that was uh, like the first or like the first goal for me was just to. To try to to finish to be able to yeah. finish the 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 round and 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 that uh, that makes the the big challenge. So um, then, of course, like I think uh, what Billy did uh, mm. 
35 years ago, it's, uh, it's incredible. Like uh, uh, yesterday, I had the best conditions possible. It was very dry. And then I had uh, uh, the group of pacers. They were amazing. They were like, everyone knew exactly where to go. Like they rode perfectly and they were all very talented runners. So, so and, and then like also like I was running and I had Billy's time. So I could mm. uh, run uh, to a speed, but when Billy did it, he, he was doing it kind of like with no references. Sure. So uh, yeah, I think what he did it was, it was amazing. I mean, what what was your motivation for um, for attempting the record? What, why did you want to do it? Or like, uh, I wanted to to come here because like uh, um, Bob Graham, it's it's part of the history of fell running, yeah. uh, and and like fell running, it's uh, probably big part of the history of uh, of mountain running, like. When uh, we look uh, to to the first races in the in the 1800, mm. uh, it's uh, it's incredible, like uh, for how long people has been running yeah. in in the fells and and Bob Graham round, or like when Bob Graham did the the round, it was another step, like to do this like linking of of summits and then. Like seeing what uh, Billy um, did uh, at uh, at that time, it's it's something that it's part of the of the sport, and yes. and it has been inspiring me since I heard the first time. So I wanted to to do it one time to come here and to and to run on the on the steps of of these legends. Everyone was very excited to uh, to have you in the UK to. Uh... To attempt it, but were you surprised by how kind of how many people came out to support you and how welcoming they were? Yeah, actually, it was uh, it was. Uh, I, I'm very uh, thankful to to the people here because it was really a last last uh, moment uh, decision. Actually, I I just decided uh, yeah early this week to, to come here mm. and then it was some people here that uh, they were like organizing um, uh, a team of pacers yeah. uh, to, to support me and, and actually uh, the story was like uh, Rob Jed that is uh, yes. a runner champion he wanted to to do the to try to try the Bob Graham uh, on Saturday uh, two days ago, so and and then he, he said that it was too hot to to try it, so he decided not to right. not to do it. And then he was uh, saying, uh, and then he was going to to help me yeah. and and all his pacers to help me. So that was amazing to to have these people that that they they are from here and they wanted to. To yeah, to help me and to to show me the the mountains around too. Did you get a chance to speak with um with Billy Bland on on the, on the day about about the, the the course or the record? Did did he congratulate you? 
Yeah, actually, I, I meet him um, uh, when I come here uh, to to train uh, on on Thursday. I I was going to to his house and he welcomed me and and it was really nice. Like he he was giving me some advices and and explaining a lot of uh, anecdotes of of when he ran it and yeah. and then like during the 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 run I did. Um, he was uh, out there uh, in actually he was he, he's a great cyclist now like right. he's uh, on on the 70s but he's cycling a lot every day right, so okay. he was doing a, a ride that day and, and and he was just stopping by a road to to share on me and, and then he was also in the when i finished in in Kesik, he was also there to to welcome and and that was like uh, that was great. Like I I I am really like uh, humbled and, and honored yeah. that uh, that uh, yeah that he was uh, he was sharing on me. And, and were the conditions for you? I mean, uh, I think in in the UK we look at that. We'd say it was a very hot day when you did it. But for for you, someone who's grown up in in Spain, is that was that, was that perfect conditions for you, or was it? Or would you rather it was a bit cooler? I don't know. Yeah, it was like I I was like I was born in Spain, but in a yeah. hut at 2,000 meters. Yeah, right. Yeah. So like for me, like when it's over 15 degrees, it's like I I am terrible on on hot conditions. Right. 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 Uh, uh, I think uh, yeah, when it's over. Yeah, 15 degrees, 20 degrees, I really struggle. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was hot, but but then, like, all the morning was um, was uh, a bit cloudy. Yeah. And, and actually, it was uh, all the day a bit of wind. So maybe only the last, uh, maybe the last uh, four... Four hours, it was very hot, but the rest, it was uh, actually pretty good. I would say it was perfect condition. The, the, the yeah, the the first three quarters of yeah. of the run, and then the last part a bit hot. Yeah. Well, when did you start? What time of day did you did you begin? Um, uh, at six o'clock in the morning. Okay. So it was kind of cool at that point. It was wasn't too wasn't too warm when you started. Yeah, it, it was cloudy and it was uh, it was good, perfect temperature then. So obviously the the record stood for you know, 35, 36 years. Um, were you surprised to to beat the record by such a, a margin? Because you, you beat it by what an hour and one minute. So it's, you, you actually took a lot a lot out of the record. Was that a surprise for you? Yeah, like I, I had not idea of uh, of what it was, but I and I was very sure. Like when I come here and my plan, what, what I was thinking and and what we talked with the with the pacer, it was like to try to to run maybe like uh, fifteen minutes faster, mm. fifteen twenty minutes faster, but uh, that was like kind of a, a dream. And then, like, it was just, I think, like, conditions were perfect and paces were so good that then it just, like, uh, added and, and I, it was possible to, to run to run faster. And I, I think then, like, um, I hope now it's some 
because some of the people that pays me as uh, Carl or uh, or uh, Rob Jeb, they they are very talented athletes, and I, I hope they try soon because I think they yeah. they have uh, they they can run this fast. Uh, yeah, they, they 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 have that in the legs. Has it inspired you to, do, to try any other kind of British um, mountain races? I mean, I guess there's, there's a similar thing, the, the Ramsey Roundup in, in Scotland. Do you, do you think that you'll, you'll, you'll be back to yeah. do something similar in the future? Yeah, the, the Ramsey Round, like, it's something that I, I has been, like, uh, also looking for, like, to do sometime, and it's yeah. something that I, I probably want to do sometime, but, like, it's not plan now but yes. I don't know if it can be like uh, uh, maybe in two years or maybe further or maybe sooner but like uh, yeah sure that I think it's it's so cool the the culture of the of the rounds up here and of the cell running it's so many races too that I would like to to do um, here in, in England or in Scotland yeah. and yeah no, I think yeah yeah, I'm really, I really like these these challenges and the and the ambience about. Yeah, that's great. Okay, okay thank you again for, for your time. Um, really great to speak to you. And no, thank you very much. On 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 breaking the record. For more from Runners World, head to runnersworld.co.uk. When it comes to discussing running's past and future, who better to speak to than a five-time Olympian who happens to be Runners World contributing editor? Joe Pavey has spent two decades at the sharp end of elite athletics, and we caught up with her on the phone to get her unique perspective on some of the ways in which running has changed over the past 25 years and where it's going next. So, Joe, welcome to the, uh, the Runners World podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. It's really an honour to talk to you. So this podcast is all about the kind of 25th anniversary of, of Runner's World. Um, so we thought it would be absolutely great to speak with you because you've been at the kind of top level of elite athletics for, for such an amazing amount of time. I wonder, sort of looking, looking back, are there any, you know, how training has changed over that time? Is there anything that, that you used to do now that you think now seems like, you know, like, oh, I'd never do that now. It seems a bit like outdated. I mean, firstly, congratulations to Runners World. It's absolutely awesome to be celebrating 25 years. And Thank you. It's been absolutely brilliant how well the magazine has done. And all credit to everyone that's worked so hard. And, yeah, like I'm really honoured to be involved in the 25-year anniversary. And, yes, I have been um, training for many, many years. I think one thing I feel has changed is the importance of tempo running. I think when I first started out in my career, it was more about going for a run and then turning up doing your interval sessions with the squad at the track. And nowadays, it seems like this tempo running has really come to the fore is how important it is, you know, trying to improve your lactate threshold, trying to run at a pace that's comfortably hard, and the benefits that has for your endurance, but also your staying power when you go to sort of longer races. And I think that's become much more important. I think um, taking it back probably a few more years, I think people used to do a lot of mileage, whereas people have now tended to realise that there's no point running miles and miles and miles. You've got to get the quality running in. And particularly when you're thinking about 5K and, and 10K, there's no point running miles and miles and miles. If, it, if you then go and do your interval session, you're not really hitting the targets that you're needing to hit in order to get your best race out over the sort of 5K, 10K distance in particular. As far as kind of what, what a week might look like, I mean, what would you suggest with, with, with tempo and interval and, and slow running? How, how would you... If you were, say, you, you were prepared to run 
four or five times a week how mu- how much of that should be slow running do you think how much should be sort of tempo or interval stuff yeah i mean i think obviously if you're new to running you've got to introduce the different components of running quite gradually but i suppose the key components are obviously having a long run running longer than the distance you'll be um, racing as, as far as going from 5k 10k obviously with marathon you're only going up to probably maximum of 18 to 23 miles as your peak distance but getting a long run done each week and then a tempo run an interval session and um, some easy recovery runs but I think it's all about getting that training mix right because it's not only putting the components in it's making sure you have your easy days like you wouldn't want to do an interval session the day after your long run you need an easy day and then you wouldn't want to do a tempo run necessarily the day after intervals and it's all about having the right balance and listening to your body and having a flexible plan and of course, um, there's no need to have a definite training week. I tend to work on more of a sort of eight to ten day cycles so that I can get enough recovery um, with doing recovery runnings in between and of course taking a day off, but also being ready to do the interval sessions because there's so many different components that if you try and always squeeze them all into one week, you could actually find that you're risking injury in that respect. Yeah, so that's right. important. I think most people would be quite intrigued Joe, to get your take on the longevity of your career and how you've sustained that, and you just you touched upon recovery then and managing your week around your body and listening to your body. Is that one of the things that you attribute to how long you've been able to be at the, at the top top end of the racing for so long? Yeah, I think mainly I just love running. You know, like many of the readers, I just love running. I've had a lifelong passion for running, and I feel really happy and motivated, especially now being a mum as well. In actually fitting my training around family life has actually given me a lot of motivation and that's important. I think setting myself goals, I think it's a known thing that if you've got a goal to aim for, it increases your motivation because you've got an aim and you're working towards short-term goals in order to get to that long-term goal that you set yourself. I think um, listening to my body, getting better at, at doing that and being more prepared to be flexible with my training plan, but also prioritising the most important aspects of of training um another thing is rather than thinking of age as a bad thing use it to my advantage to think well there's always more to learn the older i get i'm still learning more and um learning about running in general learning about what works for me and also drawing on my experience of knowing what targets i need to aim for down the track which relates to what sort of shape i'm in and things like that but yeah i mean there's always more to learn and you know i just um really enjoy it i suppose other things like making sure you do enough you know sort of techniques like using a foam roller um injury prevention techniques getting regular massage doing my stretching and, and all things like that making sure nutrition is good uh, so many things making sure you look after yourself but i think mainly if you if you enjoy something you want to keep doing it and i think many readers will relate to having that passion for running wanting to get out the door but of course sometimes you don't feel like that but you know generally just knowing how great you feel when you finish it if you do have those sort of days and you know we're all very lucky to be involved in the sport definitely yeah I mean I think you, you very rarely regret going out for a run do when you come back I think you always no, always feel better I mean you mentioned a little bit there but like many of our readers you know you've managed your training around uh, being a parent and I wondered I mean obviously your training load it was, going to, it was absolutely massive. Um, you know, you're doing kind of elite sport. Was it a real struggle to to find that balance between training and family? Yeah, I think 
for me, um, I wasn't sure when I became a mum whether that would mean I would be carrying on with my running. Obviously, I would carry on running, but I didn't know if I would be um, carrying on running at a competitive level that I was maybe hoping to do. But I thought, well, being a mum is my main priority, so I'll just see what happens with the running. But, you know, I did actually find that it's been lovely to be able to keep active as a family. And I found by involving the whole family and being active together, you know, we'll go to the forest or the canal and... Um, you know, Jacob would go on his bike and Emily was either going in the bike or the running buggy, but now she's getting good on her own bike as well. And we love to all get active together. And we also will sometimes be by the beach so we can go in the sea on the paddle boards or we can um, use the canoe along the canal as well and just try and make it an active day out around doing some running. And I think for anybody, you know, who's got busy family life, they can appreciate that if you get all the family involved, it makes it fun. And I think it's nice to parents to be role models and actually it's quite good to show the kids that it's fun to be active so I found that that's sort of a way that we've worked around it but but yeah we've had to obviously be flexible with the training sit down each week and work out where the training's going to fit according to what's going on with the kids you know there's parties play dates and activities and clubs and things like that to work around um and it does help that my husband is my coach because He's very, very supportive, but also it makes it easier for us to know what's going on with family life and we don't have to really sort of discuss that in depth. It kind of, you know, would just happen that we know that's happening then and he knows what's been going on and that. But, I mean, in, in the early days, I found investing in a treadmill was particularly helpful so that I could run without leaving the house when I was feeding the baby and running at all different times of day. And, and yeah, and um, just, but, you know, just keeping, you know, enjoying it and also just being realistic. You know, some days maybe you can't do the training you had planned to do because the children have, you know, got ill or something and just not beating yourself up about it and just thinking, embracing when you can train but not beating yourself up. You have to change things around a bit, you know, have that flexible plan. But, um, but yeah, and just, you know, enjoy yourself, really. Excellent. Um, I think the interesting point you bring up is that when you're training with your with your kids and you can be a bit of a role model to them and I think the whole idea of families being active is a super important one in, in this sort of day and age but do you think that the the profile of female runners has increased as a, over the last 25 years in terms of role models being present and encouraging other females to to get into running yeah I mean I think um we're quite fortunate in running that there's been a lot of female runners that have had um, quite a high profile, you know, when you think of athletes like Liz McColgan, Sonia Sullivan, Lola Budd, and obviously I can remember Sally Gunnell winning her Olympic gold. I really can remember where I was when that happened. And of course you've had Kelly Holmes, Paula Radcliffe and name just a few. But I think um, one of the things is women's sport generally has been on the up when you've sort of seen the role models we've had in the big success of the women's rugby team and the women's cricket team and, and the football teams and, and even athletes like Nicola Adams, um, there's been a lot of sort of real boost in women's sport generally. There's still a lot of work to do, but there's definitely been a lot of strides taken forward. And I think um, now we've got, you know, role models coming through in all the distances, obviously Laura Muir in the middle and long distance, Dina Ashton-Smith in the sprints, and these athletes have got big high profiles. But I think there has been a really massive upsurge in women wanting to take part in running. And I think that's great to see. There's always more to do, obviously. But when you see, like, the percentages of 
the amount of women taking part in mass participation road races and how women are getting out there training together, people networking on social media about their experiences of running, not only as a woman, but as a mum. And it's all been really, really positive. And so many of my friends run in the village, you know, and they're not people that did a lot of running when they're younger. And it's um, been a massive upsurge in people enjoying mass participation events. And it's that side of running is going from strength to strength. And that's really great to see. So obviously in your column, uh, Joe, in, in Runners World, you, you give advice out to readers uh, on a monthly basis. And I think it's, you know, it's a really popular part of the mag. But I wonder what the best piece of advice you've been given during your career. Is there a kind of standout piece of advice that someone's given you? Um, the thing is, I have been asked this a lot. And the thing I always say is um, Chris Boxer, who many people remember, she was a fantastic 1500 metre runner. Mm. And she helped me to return after injury and... And she said, do what you can do rather than what you should do. And she was referring to the fact that I was coming back from injury and I was thinking, right, to be an athlete at top level, I need to do this, I need to do hard track sessions in spikes. I mean, at the time, I was targeting the 1500 and it was sort of hard to think, oh, I need to be doing this, that and the other. And we actually decided that the 5K at that time was maybe suit me better because I wasn't able to put my spikes on. I wasn't able to train on the track because right. I'd been injured for two and a half years and I wasn't coping that well with building up the training at the time and so it was more about right I can train on the grass or I wasn't able to do long runs but we managed to do some shorter quality runs and by taking the approach of doing what you can do rather than what you should do I was then able to make a successful comeback where I think you know listening to that advice has really helped me because if you try and think right I need to do this that and the other but Mm. If you're not ready for it, you're going to end up with nothing because you end up injured from trying to do too much at once. So that was definitely a good bit of advice. You mentioned mass participation races and, and the increase of, of people doing that. What other trends currently uh, are exciting you in running, Joe? Is there anything that is, has caught your fancy that you might give a go? Well, I think when you talk about exciting trends, I think the obvious one is the massive success of Park Run, the way that is done so much for people getting people being able to discover running discover a passion for running and how inclusive it is and you know people are there week after week not only taking part but people volunteering and how you know grateful we are for people that volunteer all across running events to be able to make these things happen but but yeah just the way that park run has gone from strength to strength it's gone worldwide and it's what people are all talking about and it's been shown that park runners are obviously happy runners because it's not just beneficial to physical health it's beneficial to mental health to get out on a Saturday morning run with other people no pressure to run a good time but of course if you do want to run a good time you can and um, you know it's all such a positive thing and has such benefits to people's mental health as well as well as um, you know as well as their physical health as well and I think that has been something brilliant really and I suppose one of the other things that I've been surprised about is the massive upsurge in the popularity of ultra running. You know, yeah, yeah, definitely. Sort of, yeah, the trend that it's no longer um, really like amazing to say you've done a marathon. People have started to run 50, 100 miles and running across the desert or, you know, up Mount Blanc or, you know, there's just so many challenges that people are taking to and, this is really um, going up and up, and it makes me feel like I should maybe yeah. try and do an ultra. Oh, I'd love to see that, Joe. Joe. That'd be great. Yeah, why not? Why not? 
yeah. you know, once it's you know, once you make that decision, I think you've got to stick to it. Surely, <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is it. No, I think um, I think you're right. I think that the fact that uh, it maybe boils down to the role models again. But people probably don't perceive that they're able to do these things, and then they'll see someone do it, and it, all it yeah, takes is that, and then it just switches, and they go, "I could do that." You know, people are looking at other people's results and achievements because. Of course, one of the massive things that have changed is the social networking sites that are there out there for runners and the way that people are able to interact, share their real big achievements and get praise off others and give praise to other people and, you know, try and beat each other's times. And the whole social side of running has has really taken a, a massive boost and that's all exciting and taking running to a totally different thing than what i had when i first started out in my career and that's all really exciting as well well yeah, i guess stuff like what's like strava and kind of sharing your runs and stuff would have I, been that yeah, wouldn't be definitely. a thing yeah i think everyone was slightly yeah. disappointed when joe joined strava <laughs> i think there was a bit everyone suddenly saw all their all their course records disappearing in front of them <laughs> <laughs> no i've had some mind beating lately actually but yeah it's just all fun isn't it yeah absolutely strava's been a great thing with all these gps devices and everything as well i was um talking with my husband earlier about changes in in running and um we had um one of the first gps things to try out in training and i remember it was on a training camp in south africa and we would put it on this grass track to see if we could get it working i was doing laps of a grass track and i actually had to strap a big device on my back like a small rucksack <laughs> and then i had this big watch and i really wasn't very pleased that because i just wanted to get on with my training and um my husband who was coach me was more interested in this thing would work and I was like felt a bit like a pack horse device <laughs> on my back and, so, and nowadays what it does and even you know basic heart rate monitors I remember firstly trying to wear those and it just rubbed big holes in my skin because they were so stiff and right. rigid and you know even things like that there's been so many improvements and so even when you think about running shoes it's gone from the phase of having really solid anti-pronation things where your feet wouldn't move at all and that was considered good yeah. whereas now it's all like everyone wants something flexible and natural and you know that i just remember in trainers like you could hardly bend them and now it seems to be more the thing that you want to feel natural in a shoe and that's been quite a change as well i think where would you like to see sort of running going in the future joe would you like to see like more funding for elites or more education about the benefits of running? Is there anything that you kind of would like to see uh, develop in the future? Yeah, definitely more education about the benefits of running. Um, schemes to get families running together, I think, good. I mean, obviously, part runs doing a lot about that, but getting families running, but also educating children of the benefits of running, but making running more inclusive. I was thinking about maybe schemes going to, into schools, trying to make you know, running more inclusive. There's been quite a lot of talk um, at schools about removing running from sports and things because it can become too daunting for children and things like that. And I think that's a shame. It's all about things need to be done to make it fun to go for a run or done in a way where it's encouraging for children and inclusive. And it's not all about who can run the fastest, but having your own goals to aim for, but keeping running in there and showing that children of all abilities in running can enjoy running and I think that's something that nearly really does need to be worked on to a certain extent and giving more encouragement to people with mental health problems to get out there running I know there's a lot of schemes um, starting up and there has been a lot of media about it but that's been a really positive thing that running has been established as something absolutely brilliant for 
improving people's mental health and especially people who have got long-standing mental health. Yeah, definitely. And also I was thinking about how there's probably still need more advice for teenagers. There's a big dropout rate of people showing talent in running. And when they get to their teenage years, for whatever reason, you know, they start getting injured. There's a lot of peer pressure to stop. They get a stress of exams. And I think, you know, going into athletics club, talking to clubs and coaches about keeping the young runners interested but not under too much pressure so they can keep their running going to a lesser extent but still keep that interest there when they've got issues with growing and losing a bit of energy and also with their exam pressure and everything like that because it's a shame we do see so many talented youngsters lost in sport and sometimes they end up taking it up way after they've had children themselves and it's if people can keep their love of running going through all stages of their life, really. And, and of course, getting more women involved, like we already spoke about, but that's, you know, going from strength to strength. But, but yeah, definitely. You talked about continuing the love of running. And I think most people, apart from the exclusive that we have, that you're now going to take up ultramarathons. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what is your next big running goal joe yeah i mean i'm definitely going to do some autumn road races i'm not totally sure which ones yet so i'm just training for that and i really want to do another marathon sometime in the near future but also people might laugh and it might be a bit unrealistic but i'm not ruling out the possibility of trying to qualify for a sixth olympic amazing so, but um, I, don't, I know that's difficult to do. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy with all the good, talented girls coming through and obviously getting older every day. But, but you know, it's, it's something that I wouldn't rule out attempting to achieve. Well, it would be absolutely um, an incredible achievement, Joe. Thank you so much for um, for coming on the Runners World podcast and talking about um, how running's changed over the last 25 years and, and where you see it going next. Um, yeah, absolutely great to talk to you. We, we really appreciate it. Oh, thanks a lot. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Okay. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Joe. For more from Runners World, head to runnersworld.co.uk. So that brings us to the end of this month's Runners World podcast. I want to say a big thank you to our guests, Andy Dixon, Joe Pavey, Killian Journey, and Kieran Alger, and to Scramble Studio Soho, where this was recorded. For more from Runners World, please visit the website runnersworld.co.uk, where you'll find news, reviews, and interviews from the wide world of running. The podcast is available on iTunes, but please do contact us and let us know if it's not available on any of the apps or services that you do use. Podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next month. The Runners World podcast was recorded at Scramble Studios Soho. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.